We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Afro Rontes, eyes on the price. Can we do that a little bit tonight? Yeah, we have a few more minutes. Part four. Yeah. Some of you are joining us for the first time today. We welcome you to our mist. Uh, as uh, some of you have been with us for a few weeks, over the past like two or, or three weeks, the Lord sort of post us off this series to mend some things. Right? And so we can continue. But then all of it nicely comes together to enforce that message. Yes. Yeah. Have you noticed? Yes. It comes together nicely. That once you see him and make him alone your field of view, every other thing fading away, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how much more will he not, along with him, freely give us how many things? All things. So we have the son, we have all things. You have money, you don't have all things. And so we start to chase this money. Get rich or die trying. 50 cents. And you keep hustle and hustle and hustle and hustle and hustle. But Jesus says, he who has the son has life. He who had not the son had no life. I'm better off. Because I have the son, I have it all. So we don't have Christ and lose. We don't. We see him, we can't be sick. You can't have Christ and be sick and be fine with it. Why? How? He bore it. I don't have to bear it. But we live in an age where we have, we have flipped the message. You know, you go to church on a Sunday and you hear 19 ways to prosper. 28 keys for living a supernatural life or breakthrough. And that can't sustain you in life. Because it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. And after a while, I realize I've not even moved so far. I mean, who knows what I'm talking about? I haven't, I haven't moved so far. But we come and teach you Christ and him crucified. The foolishness of preaching. How, how's that going to put food on the table? You can't be in Christ and be worried about what to eat or drink, even when you have none. Yeah. And newsflash, there will be days, I promise you, where you will have none. Especially on the days you, you, could, you, could, you could be certain you will have some. You know that there's one you expect to not have. And it's cool. There are days when you are certain that you are hammering today. And you hammer not. And it can be so frustrating. 
but even in those times, you are not disadvantaged. Because you have the son. You are still an heir of the father. Even if you have not had breakfast. And I mean that literally even right now. I can smell some hunger in the room. So we've been looking at Afrontes eyes on the prize. We looked at what a distraction was. We said that a distraction is not a distraction all the time. So a distraction is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the wrong thing at the wrong time. Or even the right thing at the wrong time can be a distraction. And so we come and we're looking at all these things and chasing all these things. The prophetic, deliverance, prayer, money, you know, marriages, you know, how to attract a husband, you know. How to break the yoke of singleness. When Paul writes and says he would rather everybody be single. So I don't understand what Bible we're reading. Right? Because clearly they didn't see singlehood as a curse. In scripture. They didn't. How much more want to be broken? Hello? They didn't. There was no age attached to, to getting married. In the New Testament. In fact, Paul said we saw in the scripture that henceforth those of you who were married live as though you weren't. Right, so we have majored on the minors and minored on the majors. And so it's time that we look at what those distractions are and identify them so that they were able to avoid, as it were, or be, be, be conscious about them as we look at the Christ. So we began to look at some distractions, and the first one we, we looked at was the distraction of frivolities, right? Anything that doesn't matter, anything that doesn't count. Anything that is not of value. I said something serious can be taken frivolously and something frivolous can be taken seriously. And so we start to chase frivolities. We looked at that and we avoid frivolities. We avoid things that don't count. Things that don't matter. Things that you can do without in your journey to becoming like Christ. We saw, remember the word, use came on for, for, for behave decently yeah, or comely. And then we went on to look at the destruction of realities, which we have been dealing with. Yeah, as Fred nicely put it, the balance of fact, truth, and the lie. So the fact that something is tangible doesn't make it real. Remember that? And the fact that something is intangible doesn't make it unreal. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And we set our, our, our sights on things above, not on things on the earth. So we look at reality and reality is that your intestines are what's the word again? Intestinal obstruct the obstructed. Yes. The obstructed. Your 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 back is hurting, your head is banging and you're praying and stuff is getting worse and the devil is telling you, did the Lord say? Did the Lord really say that by his stripes you are healed? Okay, he did. Are you sure that he applies to you? It does. But you sinned yesterday. It still applies to you. And that's where you begin to understand. That's like I told the sister who got the job. It's not what you do. It's what Christ did. I was sharing with someone yesterday or two days ago and I was telling her that it's interesting how Paul has a fallout with Barnabas. And they go separate ways, beefy, and preaching the gospel. And if the rapture took place, they both would have gone. Ouch. 
I mean, they, co- they come together later. But clearly, it did not, as it were, impede the grace of God. So we're called unto good works, but good works are not a prerequisite for salvation or for preservation. Because if it were, Paul was already condemned, as was Barnabas. It's not a prerequisite for preservation. It's what Christ did. It will never be demanded of you. Now, if you, if you want to have heard this, go and live your life the way you like. Wash your ears. Because that's not what we're saying. And that's the confusion of the work of grace. We confuse eternal reward with consequence of inactions. We confuse the fact that you can, you can be saved forever and have no reward for your earthly existence. We forget the fact that you'll be saved, but your works might be burned with fire. But that he's able to keep you and present you to himself faultless. He will. He can. Otherwise, you're not saved. So you, with what you did yesterday, you too, you can receive healing. Did the Lord say? And then you'll be like, hmm, actually what happened was, um, you see, and then you're distracted. Because he makes you see what you think is your reality. Your reality is um, the, the interviewing panel has dispersed. You're not even on the list. Your reality is you're bent over. Well, that'll be made whole. I've been here for 38 years. There's nobody to, to throw me into the pool at the staring. Dude, will thou be made whole? Because your reality is, the only way I'm going to get healed is if I can see when this water is being stirred and I can get in first. And after being here for 38 years, I'm a veteran in the pool staring business. Who knows what I'm talking about? I mean, you stay by that pool. You have seen the water stirred 38 times. You also will be seriously depressed because in 38 years, you have only seen 38 people healed. One a year. So when pastors come and preach to me about this is your Bethesda, it's very sad. Because only one person can get healed. So when Holy Ghost come and blow, (laughs) only only the first person that can tap it into that anointing will be healed. Until the next revival at the next year's convention. So be careful what you believe. Be careful what you listen to. This is your Bethesda moment. The pool has been stirred. Only one person is getting it. If at all. So it's been there in 38 years. Only 38 people have been healed. He's depressed. He understands all the mechanics by which the pool is stirred. He knows that he doesn't stand a chance. I'm sure at some point he probably wished he could just leave his feet in the pool at all times so that the angel would just meet him inside the pool. I mean, you don't, you don't know his story. That's why John says if everything was written, the world will not contain the, the amount of books. 
And Jesus comes and says, will that be made whole? And it's like, but it's not pool staring season now. Because his reality was, healing is tied to this pool. Healing was tied to this altar. Healing is tied to this seed. Healing is tied to this oil. Healing is tied to this sand. Healing is tied to a pot that must be uprooted and broken. Because if that pot is not broken, you cannot be free. The cross and the finished work of Christ did not reach the pots. We have to break the pots. Because that's reality. And when we bring the pot out and you see, ah, it's true. Man of God, it's true. Look at the pot with the red cloth around it and the feathers inside it. Man of God, you are a mighty man of God. Reality is not necessarily truth. Not truth. And so we miss seeing the Christ and therefore becoming like him. And don't forget the principle works universally. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. You are what you see. So we look at this destruction of realities and we say Christ is our reality, right? And then we go in today into the destruction of necessities. Remember when we were talking about the gospel and the scientist's gospel, we talked about the psychologist Abraham Maslow and the seven things that he identified as the basic necessities of man, right? Necessities. Matthew 6, remember that scripture already again, when we're doing understanding this gospel, it says, take no thought what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall put on. Look at the birds of the air. They neither toil nor reap. That means the birds of the air don't plant seed. But your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than this? That was Jesus speaking. Take no thought for tomorrow. I'm thinking of what we'll eat tomorrow evening. It's called prudent planning. That may be true, but it could also hint of a lack of faith. Because Jesus said, sufficient for the day are its own troubles. We talked about that a bit last week, didn't we? How about the mother programming? You know, there's three onions left. I'll fry eggs with one tomorrow. In the evening, I'll use the one to make sauce. Then tomorrow, we'll use the other. I've been there. We've said over and over that when you're sick and your head is banging, that's a lie. The truth is you're healed. And you can't be sick. And you take that stand until that current reality lines up with the truth. Right? Right? So we looked, we've gone into necessities. Matthew 6, don't be anxious. Um, let's look at Mark, Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, 18. Earlier on, Jesus had given them a parable of the sower. Verse 18, he says, now, in verse 18, now these are the ones who sown, these are the ones sown among thorns, New King James. They are the ones who hear the word, 19, and the what? And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, 
and it becomes unfruitful. The cares of this world. Cares and necessities. So Jesus says, cast all your cares upon me for I care for you. Your cares are the things that you need. The things you know you need, the things God knows you need. Necessities. But we could chase, you know that scripture in Proverbs 11 that says, there is he that scattereth abroad and cometh into moth, and there is him that keeps even what is due and tends to poverty. We can be so fixated on necessities that we fail to see Christ. And the enemy is very smart as, at disguising himself as what you need. When you need it. In, Lyon, in Madagascar, you watch the movie Madagascar. When Alex had gone for a while without having had any beef. All of a sudden, all his friends were all steak. And, he will, and, and his friend, the, the zebra, will ask him, do I look like beef to you? Like steak to you? And Alex is like, yeah. Because by that point, anything is food. And that's why a believer cannot afford to live in desperation. Because when you are desperate, anything and everything begins to look like the answer to your prayer. Anything. Anything. So you cannot imagine a scenario where you are offered a job and the Holy Spirit says it's not for you. You are given money and the Holy Spirit says don't take it. I come against you. Every foul spirit. Every voices from my father's house. You cannot imagine the Holy Spirit saying to you come down, don't take a cab, walk. What kind of suffering is this? I thought the blessing of the Lord make it rich. <laughs> but we can become so fixated on our cares that the cares of this life enter and choke the word. So the important ingredient for life Information to Christ is the word of God. So we guard it at all costs. Even at the expense of food and drink. Hello? So we cannot afford to be a bunch of Christians that are running after what we need. When what we need should be running after us as a result of us running after him. I remind myself of that all the time. If I'm chasing after material things so much, it's an indication that I'm not chasing after the sun as much as I ought to. Because if I'm chasing him, the things I'm chasing should be chasing me. As a result of me chasing him. David said, surely goodness and mercy follow me. All the days of my life. And I dwell in the house of the Lord. Now you are the house of the Lord. You have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We're not chasing after necessities. We're not saying don't work. I'm not saying don't work. But think about it. Why was Paul, who was a trained lawyer, why did he choose to do tent making? Has anybody thought about it? When he went into a city to preach the gospel, why didn't he practice his legal profession? It certainly would have earned him a lot more money 
than tent making. Think about it. Why didn't he just Paul and Sons chambers now in town? Take two cases, get one free. In Ephesus for three months while offer lasts. I'm sure he probably weighed the pros and cons of doing his legal profession and doing ministry and decided, I'd rather walk doing tents and control my stream of income, control my flexibility, and be in total, absolute control of my time and be able to do this thing on my own terms. So rather than prosper by law, he subsisted by tent making. So we cannot be driven by necessities. We cannot. It will also amaze you to realize how much we can actually do without if we are focused on seeing Christ. It will amaze you how little you can eat when you stop making food your God. And that's why it's so difficult to fast. You wake up in the morning, you've had a bath, you have a 7 o'clock lecture, you're off. From there you have stuff to do and, and, and it's 4 p.m. before you realize, oh, I haven't eaten all day. We announce a fast in church. It's three days. You break at six. You wake up in the morning at six o'clock. By 6.45, you are fainting. <laughs> Who does that happen to? My hand is up. <laughs> By 10 o'clock, you look at the time like, ah, 10. I'm going to die today. I'm going to die today. 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, with no food. So you have 16 prayer points. You want to pray for an hour. You use 40 minutes to pray for grace to pray. Where are my veteran fasters, you know? Yeah, we know, we know these things. You be praying for grace. Pray grace, grace, grace. Meanwhile, you can wake up and just go. And you're fine. But the moment a fast is declared, why? Because we have touched a necessity. You suddenly just realize, I can't do without food. But when I involuntarily did without it, I survived. So you realize that the things that we call necessities are really relative in nature. They're not indispensable. But if our walk with God is subjected to necessities, and the funny thing is you never get to have enough. I, I, I love you, Jesus. I, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my father first. Some of you, if you told you the response that Jesus told the man, you'd be very upset. That pastor is very insensitive. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Somebody's father died here. Let the dead bury their dead. Come and follow me. Peter and, 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 and Andrew seeing that he was the one John talked about, abandoned their nets, shut down their business, and followed. Uh, but pastor, you know now, and we're not saying you should do that, but we're saying the Lord can ask you to do that. What we're saying is, 
nothing you are chasing after, nothing you need to survive, should come in the place of seeing him at all costs. At all costs. That is when we are manifesting the divine nature. Nothing. Nothing. Hebrews 13, 5. The full-time job is your part-time job. You're becoming Christ. It's your full-time job. Hebrews 13.5. I'm sorry if you're not excited by this. It's not designed to excite you. Hebrews 13.5 in the New King James. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such as you have. Let me read it in the good old NLT. Be content with such as you have. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Six, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Don't love money. Don't be covetous. So therefore, any gospel that champions the pursuit or acquisition of money is another gospel, which is not another. Galatians 1. It's not another. We're not called to chase money. Oh, we're going to have it. If you don't walk, you will not, you will not eat. Mind your business. Second Thessalonians, right? Four, I believe. Eleven, somewhere there. Tend your business. But we're not called to teach money. We're not called to teach investment. Oh, you'll invest. If you want to learn that, go to an investment school. Or see me as, a, as an investment consultant if I have that requisite skill. But don't come as church to learn business investment. The room is quiet. Come, let, let, let's teach you how to make money using Bitcoin. Go online. Get a, get a Forex coach. If your pastor is a Forex coach, see him after the meeting and talk on a Forex coach level. But we're not going to come and teach you in the gathering of the saints how to make Forex. That's why pastors that got their church members to invest in pyramid schemes or Ponzi schemes, even with church money, it's all gone. 26 billion of it. In Calabar where there's no money. Churches emptied their accounts and put in the scheme. Because in, in 40 days, you'll get 80% ROI. Pastors encouraged their members to put the monies in. People took from their offices to put the monies in. Because, you know, they, they, you have access to your office money. In 40 days, by the time, before the auditors come, you have the money back and then you can keep the re return on investment for yourself and put back their own. 
And all of a sudden, one young man from Biase has billions of naira in his accounts that he never dreamed he could have. Squanders them and now owes 13,000 cross revarians 26 billion naira. And he's not 40 years old yet. You just turned what? Just on 30, right. In the same cross river that there's no money. In quote. Why? Covetousness. Period. Oh, but we need it. It was business. Where was the Holy Spirit? Don't love money. Can we say that together? Don't love money. Don't love money. I mean, how much of it really can you spend? Second Corinthians 9. Let's move on from this. Don't love money. Be content with what you have. Be satisfied with what you have. Why? Because God has said, I will not fail you. Money will fail. Be satisfied with what you have. Because the security comes in Christ. He's our peace, remember? Not money, not material things. He is our peace. 2 Corinthians 9. Let's see how necessities affect our giving spirit. You know, again, as believers, we will not give because you want to give out of excess all the time. Who knows what I'm talking about? 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 6 to 15. Let me turn again to the NLT because it helps a lot of us to follow through properly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 6 in the NLT. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves the person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Ten, crucial, for God is the one who provides Seed for the farmer or sower, according to King James, and bread to the eater, or then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, what ministry? Giving. They will give glory to God, 13. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news. Ah. For your generosity to them and to all believers, so it wasn't a one-off, will prove that you are obedient to the gospel of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. 
So giving as much as it is liberal and as much as it is cheerful and not under obligation doesn't necessarily come from a place of abundance. It doesn't. So we don't necessarily give because we have an overflow, but God guarantees that whenever we have need, he supplies. That's what the word says. And so we give liberally. And in our generosity is evidence of our faith in the gospel. Yeah. Can you see that? So in spite of necessities, we give. That's how we become Christ. Formed fully in his image. Amen? Let's round up with the, with the distraction of priorities. It's very interesting. How priorities can be a distraction. We looked at Maslow's definition of the seven priorities of man. Water, right? Number one. Food, clothing, shelter, protection, security or guarantee, preservation or survival, self-actualization and significance. And somewhere in between we added companionship, remember? When we did understanding this gospel. Priority, something that needs to be done and needs to be done now at the expense of everything else. And what is man's priority? Life. But guess what Jesus comes to give us? Life. And before him, outside him, what you are trying to preserve is death. Death in the spiritual Death in the physical postponed. We must make it in this life. Which is the life you're spending? Because the priority is, if life is priority, then Christ should be priority. Because Christ is life. Colossians 3. It's not in my notes. Colossians chapter 3. I like it. Verse 1. Come on, come on, come on. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. I'll read in the NLT first. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, NLT, set your sights on the what? Realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Two, think about the things of heaven. Set your sights on things above. King James says, right? Not on the things of earth. Three, for you died to this life and your real life, NLT, is hidden with Christ in God. See verse four. When Christ who is your life. Christ didn't just give life. Christ is your life. Christ is my life. So the life I spend doesn't just belong to Christ. The life I spend is Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, who is revealed to the world, you will share in all his glory. You will appear with him in glory. So Christ is our life. So he becomes priority. 
But you see, we have interpreted life to mean something else. We have interpreted life to mean earthly existence. Earthly existence is not the reality of life. The reality of life is Christ because Christ is our life. So how do we live L-I-V-E life? We live our lives Christ. So it becomes Christ living his life on the earth through us. There was, there was only little so much we could do when Christ was God with us. It wasn't so profitable for us that Christ was with us. Emmanuel. And so he said, it's, 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 not, it's, it's not helping you. You, you, know, you know what's going to help you? That I go. And as soon as I go, I come again. And then this coming again is not to be with you, but to be in you. So you can become me. Until you come to me, then I come to you. And then we're here together forever. There's a lot of comings. We preach the second coming of Christ. We forget the third and the fourth. Because he, he comes and comes and comes until we're together on the new heaven and the new earth. Because the old one passes away. We, along with hell and death and Hades all passing away. It's not forever. Because Hades and death were cast into the lake of fire in Revelation 20. And that lake of fire with the old earth and old heaven pass away. And a new earth and heaven Pass, come into existence and a new Jerusalem come out of heaven from God. Where are we going to be when all that passing away is going on? It's not my business. Wherever God has been before heaven and earth is where we will be with him when heaven and earth is passing away. Because where was he before he created heaven and earth? <laughs> and we're in him absolutely absolutely that's why he told Jeremiah chapter 1 from, from you I knew you that's what David says in Psalm 139 you knew all the number of my days before the first one came to be but let's leave us for a minute where was he <laughs> Thank you. So where does God live? God lives in heaven, right? Fresh. Our Father, who art in heaven. You know, we're not imaginative as believers. Heaven is his throne. So when you sit... Just one, his one bomb bomb is in the heaven, and the earth is his footstool. One foot, one foot. Assuming he has two feet, where's the other foot? All of the earth is just a footstool for one foot. Now, now, uh, by the way, you know when the Bible says earth in your Bible, it's not referring to earth, the planet. Okay, just so you know, it's referring to the entire existence. So, so the earth is his footstool, but at the same time, the same earth is in the palm of his hands. Same earth. And all the nations are but a drop in the bucket. Same God. So he can afford to wipe 
the old heaven and earth with hell and death and Hades all gone and bring out a new one from where he brought out the old one yes and be able to preserve us in him while he's doing that yes. so you see I cannot doubt my preservation I can't 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 doubt my preservation I can't now to him who is able to keep you yes. he's able to where did he bring heaven and earth from from him Heaven and earth exist in the matrix of God. They exist in the matrix of God. That's why David says, Thou art mindful of him. We exist because we are in God's thought. He's mindful of us. So he brings us into being. So how is heaven and earth going to pass away? He just stops thinking about it. It dies. Fresh one comes. Fresh one comes out. Because a new Jerusalem out of the sky, out of God. Revelation 21. Let's see it. Let's go to 20. For some of you who wonder what what jargon we are talking about. Revelation 20. Someday we will look at Revelation and tear it it apart. Um, But for today, let's look at... Let's look at Revelation 20, 13. From 13. Revelation 20 and verse 13. I read in the NLT... The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave, that is death and Hades, which is the other word for hell, gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds, or according to their works. Then death and grave were thrown into the lake of fire. Death and hell, King James says, were cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death and who anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire 21 verse 1 then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone and i saw the holy city the new jerusalem Coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I had a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, I'll switch to King James, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Shall wipe away tears from their eyes. When you go home, count the comings. Up to this point. <laughs> Count how many comments that they are. So he preserves us. He's our life. So this gives you a picture of what Jesus meant when he says, I, I am come that they might have life. And have it in abundance. So you can't outspend the life of Christ. Can't. And so we stop chasing after what the world has defined life to be. And as we see him, keep our eyes on him, we begin to maximize life because he is life. Is anybody following me tonight? He's life. And all of a sudden you realize that all the things that humanity has told us that are necessary as priorities are all Christ. Water, says I'm the living water. 
Bread? I'm the bread of life. Security, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Significance, he has sat you with Christ in heavenly places, far above. Principles and past. Protection, now to him, Second Thessalonians 3, who is able to keep you from the evil one. 3-3. Three, three. What else? Shelter. You are hid with Christ in God. Acts 17. In him you live. In him you move. In him you have your being. So what is it that Abraham Maslow has told you you have to chase after that is not found in Christ? What? All of it is summed up in him. He is life. So when you have him, you have life. You go to school to learn what? Education, wisdom, intellect, vocation. Or you go to Christ and get the wisdom of God for life. Because he became for us the wisdom of God. And through us, the church, he teaches the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers. School cannot teach you that. Experience cannot teach you that. So we can handle by revelation what they cannot handle by experience. So you think we give marriage counseling to people because we've been married that long? Sometimes we counsel people in marriages who have been married longer than we have been born. Oh, I see all kinds. People who have been married longer than I've been born who sit down and give them counsel and they say, thank you, sir. You think that's experience? Why? What kind of experience? It's not experience. It's the manifold wisdom of God. Is anybody hearing me tonight? We have the manifold wisdom of God. And he can open doors for you that a master's, a PhD cannot open for you. So we chase him and he shows us all things. Eyes have not seen, neither has it come into the mind of man what God has prepared for those that love him. But they have been revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit that searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So now I have access to the deep things of God because I can see Christ. So take all the deep things of this world. Take all, take all the frivolities. Take all the necessities. Take all the needs. Take all of that and just give me a field of view that has just Christ in it. And I have advantage. Now it's not a popular message. It's not one that gets you jumping. But trust me if you're foolish enough to believe it. You are very wise. Just see him. See him. And let all the other names fade away. See just see him. See, not, not, not miracles. Not miracles. Not supernatural. Not contracts. But Christ for who he is. And don't come to him with pre, preconceptions. Do you understand? Don't come and say, this is what I want to do. Bless it. Let him, let, let, him, let him lead you. I said that scripture over and over, John chapter 3, verse, I think verse 8. The wind blows. Uh, anywhere it pleases. You, you, you hear it. 
But you cannot tell where it's coming from and where it is going. So is the way of a man born of the Spirit. You just happen. And they wonder how you happen. There's no money in your bank account, but fees are paid when they ought to be paid. You're about to be embarrassed and it just comes through. Right on time. You have 200 naira in your account. You need it. You have a need of 40,000. The need is met and you have 150 in your account. Who knows what I'm talking about? Because it doesn't consult your bank balance to come through for you. And we're chasing him. We're seeing him. Not because we want anointing. We have the anointing. Not because we're trying to be powerful. We have power. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So the Holy Ghost is power. The Holy Ghost is the anointing. He is the anointing. So we seek him at all cost. At all cost. We see him as he is. And as we behold that image as in a glass, we are becoming that image from glory to glory as by the spirit of the Lord. So people in this era of noise, in this era of distractions, in this era of frivolities, in this era of even realities, have you heard some mind-boggling testimonies, in quote? You'd be like, this had to be God. Really? Ask the sorcerers that threw down their rods and they became serpents. Moses and Aaron called forth a plague. They called forth the same plague. So enemy power did not start yesterday. So somebody can come and do, and do something and you see them like, wow! And they just stamp it, Jesus, and you, 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 you're gone. But it says, test all spirits. For many false Christs have gone out into the world. Many. The fact that something is done in Jesus' name doesn't mean that it comes from the Lord. Jesus said in that day, they will say, in your name, we cast out demons. So it's people who are saying, come out of him in Jesus' name. And they come out. Like, ah, man of God. But when you come into the understanding of the fact that I am becoming Christ, that's, that's what he called us to. The gift I am manifesting, I've told you over and over, Ephesians 4, what you call ministry gifts, have an expiry date until we come to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Perfect man. Once we get there, you don't need me. Pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, until, go and read it. Ephesians 4, 16, 17, 18, around there. For the edifying of the saints, for the work of ministry, next line, next word, until, that suggests an expiry date. It's not eternal. Even in time, the, 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 the idea of God, the mind of God, the will of God. Second Corinthians, I believe. Second Timothy, I believe. Two, four. About God who will have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. A time is coming, prophesied in Jeremiah 31, echoed again in Hebrews, where they will have no man teach another the word of God. Oh, Shanomi. That's, that's what this is about. From the least to the greatest. That's what this is about. So be, there comes a time when, 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 when she can stand her ground and say, he, he bore it, I don't have to bear it. Yes. And Yawan can, can attack sickness in the face. Yes. A demon shows up and she says, hey, get out. 
Get out. From the least to the greatest, all will know me. And no one will need anybody to teach him else the will of God. But that can only happen when we all see Christ for who he is from the lenses of Christ. Because I've said by the time you see Christ, then you see life through his eyes. We can only see life properly when seen through the lens of Christ. In all your gettings, get to see him clearly. In all our gettings. He's all that matters. He's all that matters. Us becoming like him is all that matters. Us being formed into his image is all that matters. People's dealing with you and, and eventually deciding that yeah, they dealt with Christ. People doing business with you and then testifying that they actually did business with Christ. That's all that matters. Is anybody hearing me? People having conversations with you and concluding that they talked with Christ. That's the goal. People exchanging banter with you and feeling like they, 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 they just talked with Christ. People converse with you and they feel like, yeah, there's a level of fulfillment. There's, there's, there's an aura you exude. I, I, I think I encountered Christ. That, that, is, that is a Christian. That's what, this, that's what this is about. That's the life of Christ we're spending. Nothing else. Nothing else matters. Is anybody hearing me? Nothing else matters. Keep your eyes on Christ. Be dogged about it. That's the life that we're spending. You may want to say something tonight to the Lord as we close. I don't know what you're going to tell him. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.